meet together to remind us of where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Welcome to church. Again, I have, if I haven't met you, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors here, and uh, just so thrilled that you took a little bit of time out of your Easter weekend to be here with us. We're going to jump into some scripture today in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If uh, you want to follow along and you've got your smartphone with you, you can uh, grab your camera phone and snap a picture of this QR code on the screen. It'll take you to a uh, site where you can follow along with all of the um, scriptures and sermon notes that we have together. And I, I know we've got several people kind of still looking for some seats. And if there's room in our growth track room in our lobby, there are seats along with a live feed of today's service if you would prefer to sit instead of stand. But uh, I'll be standing, and so we can stand together, and it'll all be good as we honor Jesus today with these things. Matthew chapter 3 is our text as we've kind of begun a collection of sermons here at Faith Church entitled The King Jesus Gospel. And we're journeying through the book of Matthew together, and we're in Matthew chapter 3 starting in verse 13. This is what the text says. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. He said, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me, John the Baptist said. But Jesus said to him, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. And then baptized him. Because how many of you know if Jesus tells you to do something, it's probably not a good idea to start arguing with him. Definitely not publicly. That could end badly for all of you. And so after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Would you turn to your neighbor and give him a big smile and just say, Be joyful today. There's reason to be happy. Come on, tell him. Tell him. I'm glad you're here. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that over the next few minutes, you would help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart ready to receive, Lord, what you want to say to us today as we take some time to honor Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord, the King of kings, who came, was born, lived, died, buried, and raised again, and now is seated in heaven enthroned above all. And uh, we ask that today that something would transform us as we get into your word, and it would be your spirit speaking to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
Amen. Any uh, amazing race fans out there? Any, any, anybody a fan of the show? A few of you? Oh, my gosh, people. You are missing out. I just really started watching it earlier this year, to be honest. So I'm a bit of a newbie when it comes to the amazing race. It's a, a group of uh, at least 10, 12 different couples or, or pairs of teammates and they race around the globe in various things, performing various tasks and things to, to try to win a million dollars. So not only do you get to see the world, uh, you get to have an argument every day with somebody that you love for a million dollars. It's quite entertaining on many levels. But uh, one of the things that is true is you are often uh, in a foreign country where, you, where they there speak a language you do not know how to speak. But yet you have to communicate and get directions and get a taxi and get places and accomplish things and buy things and you can't speak the language. But one thing is kind of universal. When you're trying to communicate with somebody who's not from uh, where you're at or maybe doesn't speak the same language is you use signs and pictures to try to point people to go in the right direction, right? Like an arrow pointing in Germany is still an arrow to you, right? Like it makes sense. Symbols and pictures help us communicate something to another person who may not be in the same place. I think all of our lives, whether we would want to admit it, acknowledge it, or perhaps even recognize it or not, I think we'd have to be honest and say our lives are a picture pointing out something that we believe. Something that you believe you are living out. Something of your priorities is seen in how you handle your money. When you handle your money a certain way, the things that you do for fun, how you organize and orient your family around certain events and moments financially, it reveals and points to something of, of, of your priority. And that's not a, a good or a bad thing unless your priorities are upside down in some way. What about the, the idea of love? I mean, I think we all long to be loved and want to be loved and think we know how to define love and express love, but the reality is it is the, the love somewhere in us, how we love points to something that we believe about love. Our brokenness. Our bitterness. Our angst. Are all parts of our life that are painting a picture for the people around us in some way. It's all pointing somewhere. It's all pointing to something. It's, it's all pointing. And for many of us, the, the arrow is pointing squarely back at ourselves, isn't it? And we're pointing to us as a priority, our life, our happiness, because after all, we are all in the pursuit of a drink of water. <laughs> no happiness. We're, we're all pursuing something. And it is our daily pursuits, our active life that is pointing us in a direction and pointing out something that we hold to be valuable, that we hold to be true, that we hold to be important. It all is painting a picture, pointing us in a direction. And I believe that God has given us, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, God has given us pictures that point us towards true, satisfying, lasting, abundant, rich life. In fact, I would argue today that the life that you ache for 
is only going to be found when you walk in the direction that God is pointing you towards. And any other direction would fall short of bringing a true sense of satisfaction. But God has given us little breadcrumbs of pictures. He has come into our world as a foreigner not of this world, but rather the creator of this world. In Jesus Christ came, lived to point to us and paint a picture for us of what life and the good life actually is supposed to look like. And when Jesus gets baptized, he's pointing and painting a picture for us of some really, really important things that we want to grab a hold of. I want to walk us through this idea of baptism. Now, now maybe you grew up in a, in a church tradition where baptism was a part of your experience. And you kind of have an idea of what that looks like. Maybe for you, the, the idea of baptism and people playing in the water in the midst of church in front of other people just seems a little bit odd to you. And that's okay. I, I can understand that. But today I want to help us understand what we just witnessed as a body, those in the room and online. What was it that they were telling us about the picture of them getting in the water, under the water, out of the water? What was that all about anyways? Why is it important? And what would compel Jesus, who came to be the living picture of God among us, have to do with our understanding, what is God trying to teach and say to us? Here's the first thing that I would maybe uh, help point out today as it relates to the picture of baptism and what Jesus was proclaiming to us is, number one, that, that baptism is a picture of humble obedience and surrender. It's a picture of humble obedience and surrender. Think about the physicality of baptism itself, what we just witnessed and many of you who have witnessed this and partaken in this, you, you understand, it's not really the most flattering event to do publicly, is it? I mean, something about the water and the hair and, like, you don't know what you're looking like coming all up out of it, right? Like, it just could be mascaras running. You've got the peacock flapping. Like, it's just, it's just not a great look. It's incredibly humbling. And it's supposed to be in some ways. Baptism is a picture of humble obedience and surrender. It's, it's a picture proclaiming that you, as an individual, have given your allegiance and loyalty to the king of kings we just sang about. His name is Jesus. Look at what Jesus was doing. And, and Jesus himself, when, why did Jesus get baptized? Many of you have grown up and understood baptism. You understand that baptism is something that we do is as a way of physically demonstrating an inward repentance of a life of sin. But yet Jesus never sinned. So why in the world would the Savior of the world, the perfect Son of God, need to be baptized at all? Well, I think one of the things that he was doing was he was pointing to us a reality of a picture. He was painting a picture of what it looks like to live humbly, obedient, and in submission and surrender to God's will for his life. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. It says, you must, speaking to people who follow Jesus, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus himself had. Though he was God, he did not think of it uh, equality with God as something to just hold on to for all. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took a humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. 
when he appeared in human form, look at verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And then he later died a criminal's death on the cross. Before Jesus, after Jesus had raised from the dead and he was with his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he was gathering with them and he gave them a, a command, a commission. He says, go into all the world and, and preach the gospel. Go everywhere. Preach the good news that I'm alive, that I'm the risen Savior and the kingdom of God is near. Go preach that message everywhere you can. And he says, and, and when you do, go baptizing people in the name of the Father and baptize them in the name of the Son and baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit. Do these things and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Friends, what I love about uh, one of the ways that we do here uh, in baptism here at Faith Church is that uh, we're not expecting or anticipating or upset when the clergy and the pastors and those on staff aren't the ones doing the dunking. You want to know why? Because the Bible says don't go and let the pastor or the priest do the baptisms. He says go and make disciples. And as disciples, baptize other disciples. So we believe that believers who have given their life to Jesus, following him and have surrendered their allegiance to him, as a follower of Jesus, you can go and baptize and help others be making disciples and help them grow in their discipleship in this same process. And it's something that we celebrate and it's wonderful because water baptism was meant and is still a key identifier and a picture of of a public allegiance to Jesus as king. Baptism also is a picture that symbolizes a much larger story. In other words, there's more going on in this text with Jesus than maybe what you would notice at first reading and at first glance. Jesus was participating in something. When, when Jesus told John, listen, it must be done. I must be baptized because I have to fulfill everything that my father has asked. In other words, Jesus was telling John, John, listen, I've got to fulfill the picture. I've got to put the missing pieces to the picture of what God and a relationship with God looks like. I've got to finish putting the last puzzle pieces together so that all of my people in Israel and all of people for all of time will know what God looks like in human form, what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come near, and what it looks like for people to follow him having experienced a transformed life. I've got to be the last puzzle piece, John. What was the picture that Jesus was painting through his baptism through through the going into the waters and coming up out of the waters well for jesus there was a couple things that he was doing that are very very important that the people of israel would have understood see they had a sacrificial priestly system in other words there's a tabernacle or a place where god's presence was said to go and only the priest at the time could go into the presence of god and uh, one of the things they had to do before they could go into the presence of god was there was a, a basin that they would wash in exodus chapter 30 is where you find the instructions for this and they had to clean themselves with water before making a sacrifice for the people jesus was going through the ceremonial washing before he would become the sacrifice for all of humanity. Jesus was fulfilling something. He was not only fulfilling this understanding of what was required before a sacrifice could be made, he also was identifying himself as a priest. As a priest who is capable in uh, Leviticus chapter 8 and Numbers chapter 8, you can find these instructions where 
where the priests were required to themselves be uh, uh, cleansed. And in this cleansing process, it identified them publicly in their role as priests. Did you know Jesus is our high priest? Hebrews talks about this. That Jesus came to be the high priest for us. He mediates between us and God. So we don't need a physical priest in order to talk to God. We just need Jesus sitting at the right hand of God for us to be able to have conversation with God Almighty. This is what we believe and hold to. This is what Jesus was proclaiming. This was the puzzle pieces that he was putting together for people to see this full picture of it. But then the other thing that he did, when he came up out of the water, Scripture says, we read it just a minute ago in verse 16, that the Holy Spirit of God came in the form of a dove, but it, it came and the Spirit of God rested. It remained in Christ for the duration of his time on earth. This was unheard of before. This was a picture pointing to what a life for those who followed Jesus had access to where God's spirit comes and remains in us as followers of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12 says, some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But regardless of your nationality, of your gender, of your socioeconomic status, the kind of role you play in the economy, he says, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all now get to share this same spirit. Romans 6, verse 3 through 11 says it like this. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, you joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also will be raised to life as he was. And we know that our old sinful lives were crucified with Christ so that sin must lose its power in our lives. We are no longer a slave to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin and since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We have, uh, so death no longer has any power over us. When he died, Jesus died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. This is the picture that you paint when you go into the waters of baptism. And when I went into the waters of baptism as a young child, I remember it like it was just, it marked me something significant in my life. And for those who have walked through the waters of baptism and you've made that public confession of your allegiance to Jesus, you've You've gone through that process of, of repenting of your life of sin. The Spirit of God wants to come and remain in you and break the very power that sin has over your life so that the power of God in you is stronger than the sinful desires that were born within you. So for us, when we go into the baptism waters, it paints a picture too. It, it, it washes us from sin. It, it buries our old life like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It, it is a public confession uh, that we were sinners. But we're identifying with the burial of Christ as we go into the waters. And we identify with his resurrection life when we come up out of the waters. It, it 
the waters themselves and, and going public with our faith. It's a profession of our faith in the early church. Whenever people wanted to be water baptized, they would be presented in front of kind of the congregation. And, and uh, whoever was leading that moment would ask the candidates if they publicly were ready to profess some things about their faith. They would say, do you believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and all that is unseen? And then they would publicly respond, we do. Then they would say, do you believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ? The only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of one being with the Father, who came and was made man. He suffered, he died, he was buried, but he rose again. And they would say, we do. Do you believe that he will come again to judge the living and the dead? We do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son? And they would say, we do. They were publicly confessing a new allegiance to Jesus as king, the Lord of their life, the Messiah of Israel, and he is coming again. It was a proclamation of something. And as they go into the waters and come up out of the water, Scripture says that they are made new life, animated afresh by the Spirit of the living God. First John tells us that anyone who is in Christ, that, that, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives and dwells and remains in you and me, quickening our lives to live out this loyal faith and allegiance to Jesus. So it doesn't matter what the circumstances of the culture say. It doesn't matter the pressures that surround you. It doesn't matter what anybody else says is um, the way in which you live. No, you've made a decision that the way in which you live is submitted to Jesus as king. And you're willing to stake your life on it. You're willing to go public with it and say, I'm not going to live in hiding I need a Jesus, and he's my Savior and my King and my Lord. It, see, baptism is this picture symbolizing a much larger story for you, and it's symbolizing a much larger story even for Jesus. That's why he did it. Baptism also is something really powerful, and you may have picked up on it already, but baptism is a prophetic picture announcing resurrection life is coming. Pastor, what do you mean? I, I mean that, that we are currently in a moment where we know that Jesus has died and he was raised again and he's in heaven, but we also are sitting in this moment where internally we've been transformed and changed by the Spirit of God, that the power of sin has lost its grip on us, and so we can now live, we now have the ability to be led by the Spirit in a way that allows us to reject the opportunities of sin and death and instead not miss the mark of God's good, loyal, loving way of life and we get to live in his way of life that we have the power to do that through the spirit that lives on the inside of us but but we also recognize that baptism is a picture promising us that when jesus comes again if we taste death on this side of eternity when he comes again we will be raised to new life yet again and the deliverance that you ache for while you're on this earth will finally come to pass and the freedom that you look for to where the pain of sin and suffering in our world that seems so inexplicable so unexplainable and it sometimes brings us to tears and grieves us that one day all of that will be removed from the earth it's pointing us to something hopeful it did it for Jesus. 
when Jesus went into the waters, he was saying, hey, listen, don't be afraid. I'm going to get buried, but I'm coming back. And we proclaim the same thing in our baptism. We go down and we come up and we experience the spiritual renewal. But there is coming a physical renewal for all of us who have put our allegiance and faith in Jesus. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I'm giving you a lot of scripture because I want you to understand I'm not just making stuff up. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 22. This is what it says. It says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered a physical death. Oh, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prisons, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his, his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning that terrible flood. And the water is a picture of baptism. What's Peter trying to say? Hey, remember the Old Testament story? Remember what happened in Noah's day, the whole flood? That was a prophetic picture. God was trying to create a symbol that points towards a future baptism, which also points to a future salvation, which points to a future resurrection. God may not have been from here. He may not look like you and I, but when Jesus came, he did. And he lived among us creating symbols and doing fulfilling the picture and putting the last piece together so that you would have a clear picture of who is God and who is king and who is Lord. That was a good place to say amen, but I'm going to keep going. Verse 21, and that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience, heart, and spirit. It is effective because of the resurrection of Christ. Now Christ had gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels, authorities, and powers Accept his ultimate authority too. Friends, baptism is a picture prophetically pointing and announcing that resurrection life is coming for those who have walked through those waters, who have put their allegiance in Jesus and have proclaimed those things too. Here's the last kind of point or picture that is painted symbolizing that God is trying to help us understand as it relates to water baptism. And that's this. That baptism is a sacred place of transformative encounter. The waters of baptism is a sacred place of transformation as we encounter the Spirit of God in our lives. Think about Jesus' life for a second. Go go back to, to Matthew 3. Starting over 16, it says, After his baptism... Jesus came up out of the water. This is why we do baptism by complete immersion. We do it for two reasons. One, Scripture says Jesus came up out of the water. It didn't say he was sprinkled, dipped, or poured on. It said he came up out of the water. But number two, the word baptism in the Greek is the word baptizo, which is literally translated immersed. So every time you see the word baptized or baptism, just substitute in your mind immersed. When Jesus was immersed... And he came up out of the water. The heavens were opened. And they saw the Holy Spirit descend and remain on him. And then something crazy happened. 
It was like the skies opened and a booming voice from heaven said, this is my son. That's my best God voice. I don't really know. Like, if I was Barry White level cool, that would probably have been much better. I don't know. This is my beloved son. In him, I'm well pleased. There is a beauty of approval that comes in the waters of baptism where you hear the affirmation from your heavenly father, that's my boy, that's my daughter. I'm adopting them into my family. I'm choosing them to be a part of my family. I'm welcoming them into my family, and I'm proud of them. I'm, I'm proud of them. That's my boy. It, you, you, in the waters of baptism, you are being baptized not just individually, but you are being baptized into a family, to a body of believers that spans time. Look at Romans chapter 8 with me. It says this, for there is now no condemnation. Somebody say no. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Well, who, who belongs to Christ Jesus? I'll keep reading. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save you and save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, except he didn't sin. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. He's talking to the, to the family of God. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. That's a sobering statement, friends. I've said it before with great sincerity and tenderness in my heart. Not every human being is going to spend eternity with God. And not, human, not every human being is a child of God. Are we all made in the image and the likeness and the characters? Is the fingerprint of God somewhere in you? Yes. And when you describe it, it's, and when you discover what that looks like, it's meant to pull you and point you back to God himself. Not to create your own set of beliefs as God, your own self. With your own sovereignty. It's meant to point you to God and to submit to his sovereignty. But who is a child of God? Those who belong to the family of God. Those who have given their faith, their allegiance, their loyalty, their, their repentance and surrender to him. Those who have the spirit living on the inside of them. Those are the ones who belong to him, scripture says. It goes on to say, and Christ lives within you. So that even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead 
Don't miss this. He lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection that is to come when Jesus returns. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. In other words, just because you feel like doing it doesn't mean you got to do it. That's why we just did a fast as a church for 40 hours. And some of you, like me, were like, oh, man, I really want to eat something. Oh, my gosh, come on, come on, Sunday, 7 a.m., Sunday, 7 a.m., Sunday, I'm going to eat some food. I had an apple, praise the Lord. Right? We were telling our physical bodies, you don't get to make the decisions, but our spirits are in line with God, and we're going to live after him in his ways. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by it, it dictates, and you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. In other words, if you've received the spirit, you have received a spirit of adoption, like his own kid, to which you get to call him Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. But don't use Daddy God in a prayer. It's just weird and creepy. Just call him God, would you? It's for all my millennial friends. For it's his spirit who joins with our spirit to affirm and give you affirmation and confirmation that you are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs to God's glory in the world in the age to come, he's talking about. And if we share in his glory, we also end up sharing in his suffering in this earth. Friends, you long to belong somewhere. I long to belong somewhere. We all long to belong. We all long to be loved. We all long to be being a family, we all long to be accepted. We all want somebody to know our name, and we want somebody to look us in the eye like we actually matter. We all long for this loving acceptance and hope of, of relationships and community and family. We all ache for this sense to belong. But friends, I have to tell you, the affirmation you long for will not come from redefining the terms of right and wrong or lowering the standard of what is right and wrong to be your own sovereign Lord of your life. It doesn't work that way. Because when you lower the standard to get acceptance by the people or you demand them to love you according to your standard, you are not getting love. You are manipulating. And we have traded in the genuine love of God for a fake, shallow, redefined, lower standard of love for self. Again, because our lives are pointing and often they point towards us. Friends, when you humble yourself and admit that you're not God and Lord of your life and you walk in obedience and humble surrender to Jesus, that's called repentance. Repentance is this. You're going this direction and in your mind you're like, yeah, that's not the right way to go. I'm going to go this way now. And I turn and I follow. You can belong to the family of God. You don't have to be on the outside. And the affirmation 
and the love that you've been searching and craving for and the attention you've been trying to get for yourselves and all the things that you've been doing to try to curry that from humanity and the people around you, you will sense a deep sense of transformative love of God as you yourself hear, this is my son and daughter. They belong to my family. They're my child. We all long for family. Friends, listen. As long as we are redefining things, we will never actually find them. We long for this family. And God's children are those who have put their faith, their allegiance, their loyalty to Jesus as king. That's where you will find true affirmation. That's why you need to be baptized and make a public profession of this belief that you've made in your life. Because it's in the waters of baptism that you get a clear picture and statement that you are being baptized and you are now being hidden in the life of Christ. And when you come up out of the waters, you get to now live in resurrection life with Christ. You can belong to the family of God. And you can receive this new life and the promise of resurrection too. Just like we witnessed these folks today celebrating that happening in their life, it can happen in your life too. I think it's Jordan Peterson who says it like this. Kind of a philosopher, a psychologist. Has an amazing, well-followed podcast. Quite eloquent. People ask him, as he's kind of been on a journey for years, away from atheism into Christianity. And it's been really amazing to kind of just watch from a distance as he shares his mental process, thinking about these things deeply. People ask him, hey, do you believe in God? And he just says, I, I'm not sure that's the right question. But let me answer it the best I can. I, I want to believe. I, he says it this way, I want to live like I believe in God. Belief is not an abstract thought that you agree with mentally. Belief in faith is something that you agree with and you demonstrate in your life. It's not either or, it's both and. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21, the promise of resurrection comes to the family of God. It says this, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, we're all human, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will return and turn the kingdom of God over to the Father in heaven, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. Friends, this is the time that we're living in. Where whether you recognize it or not, God is in a process in his sovereignty of helping all powers and authorities in our world, seen and unseen, begin to recognize that Jesus is king. And when he disarms those and finishes that out for good, he's going to return. And when he comes, we get to experience resurrection life. You can have that promise. 
you can have that same Christian hope that we hold on to, and you can experience that new life even today and hear that loving affirmation of the Father when you make a decision to choose and surrender your life to Jesus too. Would you stand as we come to the Lord's table together? And if you're here visiting and you're a follower of Jesus and you want to participate in communion with us, we would welcome that as a fellow follower of Christ to participate with us. And if you would go ahead and open up the top layer, peel it back, get the wafer out. We'll all make the noise together and then you can peel back the second layer, get to the juice. And if you would just hold tight and hold still as you hold those in your hands. Here in a minute, we'll pray together and we'll take the elements together. And when we dismiss, you'll be able to take your empty communion cup and our hosts are going to be at the doors on your way out and you can kind of throw your trash in the little basket on your way out. We'll, we'll take that from you at that time. Would you just bow your heads for just a second? We said water baptism is a, a place of transformative encounter. But Holy Communion is also a symbol and a place of holy encounter. It's transformative for us. In some faiths, pr primarily in the Roman Catholic world, they look at communion as transubstantiation, meaning that when it's blessed by a, a pastor or a priest, you literally then are taking the literal life and blood of Jesus and that's why it has so much transformative power. It's close, but it's, I don't believe that's quite right. I do believe that communion is meant to be transformative. It's transformative in the sense that as we take the elements and we partake of them and we take them into our bodies today, as people who follow Jesus, we now walk out embodying God in the world around us. That is where the transformation happens. We are his hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. And where we go, we get to be a picture pointing to Jesus as king. Lord, as we stand here at the table, holding these elements in our hands, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, for some today, this message has brought great hope because... We are children of God and we belong to the family of God and we know what your spirit lives in us. And Oh, there's so much hope around resurrection, God. For others of us, God, we're standing at the table and we may have some doubts and uncertainty and we're not sure if we belong to the family of God. And maybe today as we take these elements, it's an opportunity for, for you, for us, to make a fresh and new commitment to say, Jesus, I'm going your way and I'm surrendering my life. I believe that you are the son of God and I want to receive your forgiveness, your mercy, and your new life that we talked about today. I believe that you're the risen savior and I want to follow you. Maybe that's your commitment today that you're making in your heart to finally surrender, submit, and give your allegiance to him. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this moment of celebration, of remembrance. And Lord, as we take this bread and we take this juice, may we physically remember that today and every day we get to go live 
as a picture to the world around us of your coming kingdom and that you are king. Let's take the bread which represents his body together. And now the juice which represents his blood. Thank you, Lord, for sealing these moments in our hearts. May we live following you. Now, Lord, I pray a blessing over these people today. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. I pray, Lord, you would make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. May you lift your countenance towards them and give them peace today. And I pray everywhere we go, we would be, we would be reminded that we are radically loved by Jesus, our King. In the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us and demonstrated love, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we pray. Amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.